Well, turn with me again today to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Chapter 6 and the end of verse 6, and we're going to read uh, kind of a broken passage here uh, through verse 13. And then we'll jump ahead to verse 30. Matthew does this a few times, um, where he'll interrupt the story and then come back to it. Um, and so we're, we're going to um, take that whole story in one piece here, uh, where he sends his disciples back, and then he gives this parenthesis, the story of what happened to John the Baptist, that we'll consider uh, a few weeks from now. Um, but then come back, comes back to his disciples coming back and reporting to Jesus what happened uh, after he sent them out. Uh, and then that mo- immediately moves into the feeding of the 5,000, which we might uh, read as a, a somewhat separate account, but I think it, it ties closely to what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. So uh, we're going to consider this, uh, this passage uh, this morning and next week uh, together. Okay? So beginning in verse, uh, end of verse 6, uh, this is God's holy fallible words, so give careful attention to it this morning. He was going around the villages teaching, and he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And then verse 30 The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. They took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the fruit and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. And there were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Well, one of the most important and exciting things that people prepare for in this life is uh, the arrival of, of a baby, of a new child, especially a first child. 
Right? In our modern world, with all of our affluence and expectations, those preparations can, can be quite extensive. Um, entire rooms are redecorated and arranged, and parents spend a lot of time uh, gathering and buying clothes and beds and furniture and diapers and bottles and wipes and many other things. And many of us will read uh, books on feeding and sleeping and parenting in general or attend classes about the birthing process. And many of us put off having a baby for years to prepare with the right home situation and job situation and income and, and so on. And after all that preparation, most of us find that there's no way really to be prepared um, in, in every way, especially in some of the most important ways uh, for, for having a child. There's no full preparation. There's no manual for many of the things that you're going to face or have to decide or lead your children in. Um, there's always more wisdom needed, more experience needed, um, more humility to be gained. There's more stuff to buy than you ever realized or anticipated, probably. And we could go on and on about that. Many parents feel at times a sense of inadequacy for, for the high calling of, of parenting. Well, in this passage here, Jesus sends his disciples out uh, on a mission quite obviously and explicitly, intentionally unprepared. Uh, they don't find along the way that they're unprepared. Jesus sends them intentionally unprepared in a number of ways uh, to the most important of tasks. It's not as if Jesus, as a carpenter, is sending fishermen out to you know, build a rocking chair without tools or experience or something like that. That would be hard, but the stakes would be low. No, he's sending them out to preach the gospel, to convert sinners, to be ambassadors now for the kingdom of God. Uh, as he is, as his representatives. And he asks them to do this without the kind of equipping and equipment that they and we would probably think is, is necessary. And so I want to consider this account this morning and, and uh, also the one that follows the feeding of the 5,000 to see what Jesus is teaching them, what he's teaching us about his provision for us uh, in what he calls us to do. There are a couple of ways that we find the disciples um, rather unprepared or inadequate for this, this trip. The first is their spiritual inadequacy. Um, verse 6, we're told that Jesus goes out preaching again. This is the, the third time we're told he sort of goes on a, a preaching tour in the, in the region of Galilee. Uh, but now he begins to give and to share some of his ministry, even authority, with his disciples, uh, with the twelve who are living with him, following him. Uh, verse 7, he summoned the twelve and began to send them out uh, to give them authority. In verse 12, we read, they went out and they preached that men should repent. That's sort of a, a nutshell summary of preaching the kingdom, uh, preaching that men should believe and repent. So now they're responsible for preaching the gospel of the kingdom, for teaching the person and work of Jesus, for uh, uh, calling people to repent, offering salvation, warning judgment. Um, Jesus equips them even to perform some miracles, to use those the same way Jesus does, to, to confirm their word to people. But one of the first things that should strike us in, in this sending is how inadequate these men seem to be spiritually. Yes, they've been with Jesus, they've been following Jesus, but not for very long. 
right? And they haven't been to college, let alone seminary. They haven't passed the presbytery exams, if you will. Um, they, they have been and they will again continue to get in the way of Jesus' ministry at times to, to misunderstand what he's doing. Um, you know, when the, when the Syrophoenician woman come, will come to Jesus, they will say, send her away. Right? When the parents bring their children to be blessed by Jesus, they send them away. Get your children out of here. Um, when Jesus was praying, he, he left the crowds back in chapter 1 to go pray in the night. They, they were searching for him all day, and they found him. Jesus, what are you doing here? There's people waiting for you. Come with us. When they were afraid in the boat, they came to Jesus. Jesus, what are you doing? Sleeping. Don't you even care? Is what they said. At the end of that passage that we looked at recently, their question was, who even is this? Do do these guys even know really who Jesus is fully? Yes. They'll they'll go on later multiple times to have arguments among themselves about which of them is the greatest. And Jesus will rebuke them, uh, call them to humility. He'll, He'll call out their lack of faith multiple times. And then, perhaps most... Uh, most importantly, at, at Jesus' most important hour on the cross, the, the center of the purpose for which he came, the center of his ministry, at, at his hour of greatest need, they'll all abandon him. Even after they've been with him much longer than they have at this point. And so even before we get to Jesus telling them not to take certain things along on this journey... We were were meant to ask, to wonder, how are they ready? How are they qualified? How are they prepared to do this? These men lack maturity, they lack knowledge, they lack experience, they lack faith. Well, keeping that in mind, and on top of that, then, uh, their provision for the journey, secondly, is to be materially inadequate. And this is by Jesus' own command. In verse 8, he instructed them they should take nothing for their journey. Uh, he, he makes a couple of exceptions. They're not to go naked. They can take a staff. But they're not to take any food, any, any extra clothes. They're not to take any money. And they're not to take any bags or pockets that they might put extra of those if they come across some extra while they're on, the, on their journey. Um, some of you have done uh, have done backpacking. It's it's an experience of li- living, you know, for a little while with with little, um, leaving some of the you know creature comforts uh, behind. And yet, even when you do that, you still pack lots of items, right? You pack food and shelter and extra clothing and sleeping bags, and you try to think through all kinds of contingencies and be ready for anything. You'd be ready for cold or heat or rain or mosquitoes or injuries or all kinds of things. And and what Jesus commands his disciples here in this journey when they didn't have uh, cars or anything to stuff all kinds of things in, uh, it would be sort of like laying everything out for backpacking um, at home and then taking like bug spray and sunglasses and that's it. Right, so why why is Jesus why does he give these commands? What, what is he doing? Why is he sending such seemingly unprepared men out and then commanding them to take nothing that they might need? What's he teaching? Well, uh, I want to look at the, the basic lesson here under, under number three on your outline. And I'm summarizing the lesson for us in this way. It's acknowledge your inadequacy and trust God's provision. 
I'll look at that under, under the three headings here. The first is just to consider the lesson, particularly for the disciples here. Uh, his, his purpose in doing this, it would seem, is simply that they would trust in the one who is sending them rather than in anything else. And anything else that they might have to, to trust in or to have, uh, to have confidence in. He doesn't want to trust them to trust in their preparation. Feeling we're, we're prepared, we've, we've learned enough, or we've, um, we've packed enough. He doesn't want them to trust in their supplies. He doesn't want them to trust probably in their winsomeness. It doesn't seem they've done any preaching to this point. Um, did they impress people enough to earn their support? He doesn't want them to trust their own plan. Uh, that, that, that they are so smart. Um, he wants to trust that since Jesus sent them, uh, he would provide for them. Uh, and what he's calling to them. He would provide for their care and their success. Uh, verse 10, which maybe seems a little strange on, on the surface here, actually fits well with, with Jesus' purpose as well. And he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Um, there were other in that day. There were other traveling philosophers and religious gurus who would try to drum up support for their religion or their philosophy or um, get money from people, magicians, and so on. Um, and they would go from house to house trying to drum up as much support as they could. Jesus says that's not how you're to operate. You're, you're to you're to stay wherever you're offered hospitality first. You're to stay there. Even if you find later in the week someone else has better food or um, more money or something like that, stay where you are. You're not to, not to appear that you're advancing yourselves in any way. Um, be content where you stay. And that's his basic lesson for the disciples is to trust his provision. And secondly, we see that Jesus provided for them. Uh, just a, a brief note first, one of the ways that Jesus, I think, subtly provided for the disciples, um, maybe they didn't recognize it, um, but from the start, in verse 7, it says he sent them out in pairs. Um, a little detail we might easily read past, but is there any significance to that? Well, we uh, in the book of Acts, uh, when Jesus has ascended to heaven, the apostles are um, on their own, if you will. Jesus is not bodily with them anymore. Uh, they continue this practice. That's what we see consistently through the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas are sent out together. Uh, Paul and Silas are working together. Barnabas and Mark are sent out together, and, and, and so on. Um, uh, going out in pairs provides company and, and encouragement. It provides for shared wisdom in ministry. Um, it provides for accountability uh, that one doesn't go off by himself or um, uh, look for undue influence or power or something like that. Um, it, it also adds credibility. That, that probably is a more significant thing even in that Jewish culture than ours. And uh, Culturally, it was very significant, the, the command of God in the Old Testament that a matter was to be established by two or three witnesses. Uh, you want just to hear one person um, telling you something, uh, something new. Uh, I think in many ways it's still a good model for ministry today. Uh, 
walking in pairs, or at least more than one, right? Whether we're, we're speaking of, of just serving informally in some way, uh, or in formal ministry in terms of those who are uh, ordained, that I think that's reflected somewhat in Presbyterianism. Uh, maybe sometimes we overdo it with the committees a little bit, but uh, there's, there's biblical wisdom uh, in that. Um, it, it's also reflected in Presbyterianism in that uh, we don't. We, you can't have a congregation uh, with with less than two elders. There's no such thing as a functioning congregation with less than two elders, with, with just one man who has uh, no accountability or shared responsibility or shared support and wisdom with, with someone else in equal leadership. Um, so uh, that's a, a little bit of an aside, but part of the way that Jesus provides. Uh, in verse 30, the apostles come back and... Um, report to Jesus uh, how things went. Matthew and Luke give us more detail. It was a good report. Uh, they were amazed at how people responded uh, to their ministry. Um, evidently, their needs were met. Jesus sent them out seemingly unprepared and uh, with nothing uh, and, and provided. Despite their, their difficult message that probably uh, angered some, um, Jesus provided that some received it. Um, he provided that they could work uh, miracles um, as well. Um, and he, uh, above all, worked the transformation of the power of his word in people's hearts, in some people's hearts, that they received their message. And so, again, Jesus forced them to take on a call that, that they were outwardly uh, and inwardly unprepared for, inadequate for, uh, in significant ways. They, so they were forced to trust Jesus. They were forced to look to Jesus for provision. Uh, and he taught them that lesson further then by providing for them. And I think this is where um, the, the feeding of the 5,000 immediately after that connects closely to Jesus' lesson about providing for his people as the one who is powerful to provide. Um, I'm not going to look either this week or next week in, in great detail of this account, but just look briefly with me at this familiar story of the feeding uh, of these thousands. Um, in verse 34, we're, we're told that large crowd of Jesus um, teaching them, ministering to them, but in verse 35, the disciples realize it's getting late, but people will need food, and so their idea is, let's send them home. They, they need to leave. Uh, we need to eat. They need to eat. Um, and then look at Jesus' response in verse 37. You give them something to eat. That's kind of a strange and, and arresting thing for him to say. Of course, the disciples couldn't uh, feed all of these people. They, they didn't have resources to do that. That's how they respond to Jesus. Jesus, that's crazy. Uh, we don't have that kind of money uh, or resources. So what, what is Jesus doing here? What, what is he teaching the disciples? Why this response to them? Well, I don't think there's any, any reasonable reason to expect Jesus thinks they could actually feed these crowds. I think he wants them to remember again who they're with and come to him. Uh, come to Jesus. Uh, just like when they were on the boat in the storm. It was a legitimately serious and scary situation. They were not wrong to come to Jesus. But they came accusingly and doubtingly. He wanted them to come. Jesus, we have this terrible trouble. What? Uh, how are you going to provide for us? Uh, what do you want us to do? And here's another problem. Where are they going to go? Um, sometimes my kids face a problem that's 
simple for me, uh, but perplexing and upsetting for them, and occasionally the response is immediately to break down and cry or get angry or something, and my response to that is, I'm right here. Hey, just ask me. I can get the book off the shelf or whatever the you know, relative to me, relatively simple task is. And, and even though we could read this in, um, as a disciple's simple concern for the crowds, they're hungry, they need to eat, and maybe that is, is partly, uh, certainly could be partly um, uh, their motive, and yet it fits with the disciples' uh, pattern um, in, in, in them to, to be quick to escape responsibility or bother to them. Right? And so uh, perhaps one of the factors here, and maybe the reason that, that Mark includes verse 31 is, is to clue us into this, um, what were the disciples and Jesus in the middle of doing before these crowds came up? They were, they were trying to get away by themselves and find some rest and eat after their, their hard missionary journey where they weren't even allowed to take any food, right? And, and Mark tells us that Jesus had come away, let's rest, and said there were so many people coming and going, they did not even have time to eat. And so they make another attempt, they, they get in a boat, and they leave to go somewhere else to try to rest and eat. And what happens? The people see them going, they run ahead of them, they get there first, and they get there and there's about eight, nine, ten thousand people waiting for them. Um, and so again, we've seen other places, the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus, and the disciples say, send her away, right? And the parents with their children, the disciples say, don't bother us with your kids. Jesus doesn't have time for your kids. And so here, again, their, their answer is, send them away, Jesus. Um, Hendrickson offers this sort of paraphrase. He says, don't bother the master and don't bother us was too often their slogan. And so perhaps that's why Jesus responds with, with a uh, sort of sharp response here. They were to come to Jesus for provision. And, and then he again miraculously provides. Uh, not to teach them, not to teach us that anytime Jesus people want something, we can come to him like a vending machine or a genie and, and get it, right? but pointing to himself as the one that we're to go to as the one who is powerful to provide, uh, showing that he can and will in the ways that he wishes um, provide for his people. Well, let's consider then uh, more particularly some application for us. Uh, have you ever had the, the feeling or the worry just as you're leaving on a big trip that you've forgotten something? Um, sometimes I, I've had that often. Sometimes I'm hesitant to pull out of the driveway, even though I, there's nothing I can think of that I've forgotten. I just think I, I must have forgotten something. Um, I tend to do that, and, and especially in our, our affluent society, our, our modern, comfortable lives, there are a lot of things that we think we need for a trip. We don't want to be without them. Right? Maybe you've uh, woken up one morning and remembered that you had a test that day and you didn't, you didn't study for it. Um, we like to be prepared. We like to be confident about how things are going to go, ready for every contingency, um, and, and not be surprised. And that's, that's good in some ways, right? Um, but at times, many times, God calls us to responsibilities and circumstances uh, for which we're not prepared. We feel very ill-prepared. 
we wonder how it's going to go, how it's going to work out, or how we're going to have strength or patience or wisdom for it. Uh, maybe it's in being a parent. You feel overwhelmed or burned out or inadequate. Uh, maybe in handling a difficult relationship or sharing the gospel or witnessing for Christ as we're called to. Uh, we're at, that's what we're going to talk about next week. That'll be our, our focus next week. But the main point I simply want you to see in this, this first week is that God provides for that which he calls you to. Uh, whether it's a, something that you have a part in choosing or it's something that is um, put on you against your will. Uh, we will all face things that overwhelm us or face difficult circumstances in which, in which there's temptation to despair or to indulge in sin or to respond with anger and, and will fail those at times. Most importantly, Jesus provides, he provides faith uh, for his people in whatever he calls you to. Um, he may not provide you with the thing that you think you want or need or the thing that you're asking for, but he will give faith and trust to endure. Like the disciples here, sometimes he asks us to face hard things without something that we think we need. Right? He forced that on them here uh, by his command. Um, Paul, there's an example of that in, in Paul, right? The Apostle Paul uh, pleaded over and over, he says in Second Corinthians, with God to take away this, this physical struggle he had, whatever it was, some think maybe it was his eyesight, or, um, Lord, take this away, this will really benefit my ministry, Lord, this is something I need, and he said that God's answer was, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you, as he writes in chapter 12. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's conclusion is, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That the, the provision of Christ, he realized, was shown even more powerfully because of that. Let's think back to the illustration I began with of, of parenting and um, how most of us find that we weren't as prepared maybe as we thought we were. Well, Jesus wants us to recognize, to acknowledge generally uh, our inadequacy up front. Right? He doesn't want you to face anything in life feeling that you are fully prepared or you are fully sufficient in yourself uh, to do that. He wants you to know that you are fully and desperately dependent on him in everything. But think about the disciples' task here that he was sending them on. He, again, he wasn't sending them out as rabbis or um, those who had any meaningful credentials uh, to the people that they were going to. Um, he was sending them to the Jews to tell them about the Messiah that they'd been hoping for, the, the Jews' expectation of that Messiah who would be a, a great king, who would come with power and make Israel great again. right? And, and they were there to say... That Messiah is this guy Jesus. He's from Nazareth, right? He's uh, poor. He has no earthly title. He has no armies gathered. Um, you should repent and give your life to him. Um, it's not like this was just kind of a risky adventure um, where they had, you know, it was going to be a challenge to convince people. No, this was an impossible task that Jesus sent them on. Right? There, was, there was no hope of any success aside from God's help, aside from God softening some people's hearts to receive 
that message of the kingdom and believe. It wasn't a difficult task, it was an impossible task. They were uh, not only depending on Jesus to, for food and clothing and that kind of thing, but, but for the gospel to be received. There was zero chance apart from God's grace. And when God's people face a temptation that, that seems to own them, often, often sin does, um, it, it's impossible for us to overcome that in, in our own strength. Right? When God's people face death or the death of someone they love and think, how can I witness to the joy of Christ in this? How can I trust God through this? They're to know that Jesus powerfully provides uh, what he promises. He provides faith and hope and love and peace. And I want to just suggest as we think about how to apply these things, that we need to avoid two, two extremes uh, in thinking about Jesus' provision. Uh, one is one, one extreme, a, a way that we can go wrong in thinking about this, is that we would wait to boldly serve Jesus until everything is easy, right? Every contingency is in place, uh, financial security is certain, and so on. Right. Um, again, with parenting, and I wouldn't suggest that there are no good reasons to wait to have children. There, there are many good reasons, but many couples wait years to have children until myriad conditions are in place. Right, the right job, the right house, the right income, the right readiness and, and learning, and, and so on. Uh, supposing, perhaps, that they can actually be fully ready. Right, maybe that's something parallel to if you have this uh, approach to serving the Lord or to ministering to others, you might never risk anything or sacrifice anything for the kingdom of God. You, we as a congregation might never start an, a new ministry. Uh, we're called often into ministry or into circumstances in our lives without having every preparation that we might like to have or we'd have we had 10 years to, to look ahead for it. Often God calls us to do things that we don't feel fully adequate for. The, the, the other end of the spectrum, uh, though, that where we can go in error is to um, be hasty in, in doing something. Some, sometimes it's um, described as stepping out in faith, and, and we can mean that in a good way, right? But sometimes that describes something that's done without a clear and biblical plan, without good resources, just in, in foolishness. Right? We can't just stamp stepping out in faith on any idea that we have. Right, and, and think that it's God's will. And sometimes people in churches do things like that, and then people are hurt, and their faith is, is disillusioned when it falls apart. And they suppose that somehow their, their faith failed, or God failed them, and really it was just a dumb plan from the beginning. Right? A, a foolish decision. So navigating that is, is difficult. I don't have, um, a, you know, a... a, a Blueprint that works for every every circumstance. We want to avoid those errors. And again, this is not to say that preparation and training are, are unimportant or overvalued. They're they're extremely important. Uh, Jesus' disciples, in one sense, went through extensive training with him. Right? He taught them many things that they needed to know and needed to understand. They didn't then apply those or execute those perfectly. They continued to have flaws and weaknesses. 
But their, their training was important, and yet, ultimately, Jesus was the sufficient one. Their, their flaws and weaknesses, as they went on to minister importantly and lead in the church, uh, their, their sins and flaws were not ultimately determinant of the, the, fruit, the fruitfulness of the gospel. That was the power of Christ that determined that. And so we want to land somewhere between these, these errors. We want to value preparation and prayer and careful use of resources, while at the same time trusting Christ and being willing to sacrifice and, and risk things that, that we love and might cherish. Uh, a related application is that we always need to be thinking through how to, how to do things with excellence uh, while not distracting from Christ, right? Not making it all about the thing that we're doing um, and distracting from Christ, uh, placing our, our confidence or hope in, in the excellence or the plan or the process. Um, I read an interesting illustration of that recently. I just finished this week a, a biography of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, for many years, uh, wowed people with his preaching. He began preaching at 17. Um, he took a call to the New Park Street Church in London, where he, he preached until his death when he was 19. Uh, that's when he took the call there. Um, and he, he was and still is known as the, the Prince of Preachers. And people just came from all over to hear him. Um, but the, the biographer described, interestingly, how as... Spurgeon got older. Uh, he, when he was younger, he used to be really demonstrative and walk around all over the pulpit and everything, and eventually came to just stand still more just behind the pulpit. As he was concerned that people would be drawn more to his undeniable oratory as some kind of a, a performance, a show, than, than to Christ. Um, he, he was wrestling with that that balance between doing things with excellence and skill, and using the gifts that God had given him, but at the same time trusting the Word of Christ to do to do its work. Uh, again, it can be a, a difficult balance, and we have a lot to do simply with our, our motives in it. Um, again, I just want to remind you that no one is fully prepared for ministry for. Uh, counseling for parenting, for death, for temptation, for many things that, that God calls us to. Um, and the key to faith in all these things is acknowledging your inadequacy uh, and depending on Christ. And just want to leave you with these two promises of Christ's provision uh, from Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then in Philippians 4, uh, he reassures the, the poor and suffering Philippians, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... Thank you for your word this morning, again, for this uh, powerful, these are powerful accounts of your provision and your teaching your disciples to uh, trust you in everything, uh, for everything. Uh, I pray that you would work that kind of trust and faith in us, 
that you will provide, that you will do what is good and right and for your glory and for our good, uh, whether that works out in the ways that seem best to us. Uh, Lord, give us that kind of trust, and whatever you call us to, you will provide. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.